Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today, because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold, but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Run. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Section 6 of You Can't Win. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tom Freya. You Can't Win by Jack Black. Chapter 6. As we walked to our boarding house, I told my father the whole story of my job in the cigar store, my collecting for the milkman, my arrest, and our rescue of Julia. He listened without comment, and when I was done, said, Well, John, you'll be what you'll be, and I cannot help or hinder you. Go back to your job in the morning, if you like. Those were his last words to me. They were kind, and I have always remembered them, and their ring of fatality. I never saw him again. I learned later that he lived out his life orderly and died decently. He went away the next day, and when he returned I was far away, westbound, in search of adventure. I was tired of Tex and his tribe and their smoky back room and cheap cheating. I was sick of the sight of the crabby widow at the boarding-house. It was springtime. Sundown found me miles away on a country road, walking westward. Yes, I was going in the right direction. There was the sun going down, away off in front of me. Darkness was coming on, but it did not strike me as unusual that I had no supper or no room for the night. I came to a bridge and stopped when I heard voices below. I looked over the side and a voice came up. Come on down, kid. Don't be leery. We're only a couple of harmless bindle stiffs. I picked my way down to the level place beside the small creek where they were. One of them was unrolling a bindle of blankets. The other was washing a large tin can in the creek. Throw out your feet, kid and get some wood before it gets too dark. We'll have a fire and a can of java, anyway. Wood was plentiful. I soon returned with an armful. The other bum came up with a can from the creek and began breaking up some twigs to start the fire. He barely looked at me. Take a look around the jungle, kid, and see if you can find a pan, he ordered. What in hell do you want a pan for? asked the one that sent me after the wood. Are you going to fry some water? The other was on his hands and knees, blowing up the weak fire. 
He stood up and looked at the speaker with a most superior air. Not so fast, brother, not so fast. I've got a gump in my bindle. He unrolled his blankets and produced a live chicken, big and fat. The other bum was humbled. A gump, he muttered, and me carrying a frying pan with me for the last week. He dived into his bindle and got the pan. The owner of the chicken took the pan and held it between his eye and the fire, looking for holes in it. It'll do, he said. More wood, kid, they both ordered. We were three strangers well met under the bridge. One had a chicken, one coffee, and a stale loaf of bread. I had nimble eggs and gathered the firewood. The gump was picked, cleaned, unjointed, and put in the pan with neatness and dispatch that would have done credit to any chef. The coffee boiled fragrantly in the tin can. The owner of the stale loaf hacked it into three equal parts with his strong pocket knife, while the chicken man deftly turned sections of the bird with a sharp-pointed stick. "'This is a pretty snide jungle,' he said. "'No cans. Throw your feet, kid, and get some cans for the jabba.' I scurried around and was lucky to find one small can in the dark. The cook inspected it. Go down and wash it. Bring it back half full of water, and I'll boil it out. I washed the can and brought it back. The chicken and coffee were cooked and cooling near the fire. The cook scalded out the small can and filled it with coffee. He held out the pan of chicken to the other bum, and then to me, helping himself to a piece last. The small can of coffee was now cool enough to drink, and was handed around in the same order. The first bum took several swallows and passed it to me. I handed it to the cook without drinking any. He looked at me for the first time. "'Say, brat, listen, if you was some kind of rank dingbat, you wouldn't have been invited down here. Don't think because you couldn't hustle a can that you ain't entitled to your coffee.' "'You're right at that, Jack,' said the bum that furnished the coffee. "'Go ahead, kid.' I drank my coffee and passed the can along. We ate in silence. The chicken and bread soon disappeared. My companions lit up their pipes and smoked while we finished the coffee. I was learning fast. I took the frying pan, filled it with water, and put it on the fire, without waiting for orders.' When the water boiled, I washed it at the creek, scrubbed it with sand, and returned it to the owner. "'Where are you from, kid?' "'The city,' I answered. "'How long you been on the road?' "'This is my first day. Got any people?' "'No, they're all dead.' "'Where are you going?' "'Oh, just west, anywhere, everywhere.' "'Got any pennies?' "'No pennies. I got a couple of dollars.' I looked from one to the other. Do you want any of it, either of you? No, from both of them. But, said the cook, if we was in the city, I'd take fifty cents of it, purdy pronto, and get myself a four-bit Mickey. A what? I asked, mystified. A four-bit Mickey, a fifty-cent bottle of alcohol. Dr. Hall, white line, he translated in disgust. If you're going west, you better learn to talk west. "'Yes,' said the other. "'And pennies don't mean pennies. "'It means money on the road.' "'They didn't talk much between themselves. 
They had probably compared notes before I arrived at the bridge. They were both past fifty, wore clean overalls, substantial shoes, and clean-looking blue shirts. A month later I could have classified them correctly as professional bums, too old to ride the trains, satisfied to throw their feet along the star routes or country roads, where food was seldom refused, and to sleep in their bindles or blankets under the stars. It was time to flop. They took off their shoes and coats. The shoes were neatly placed together on a level spot. The coat was folded and placed on top of them, making a fair pillow, and at the same time protecting them from theft. Each of them threw me a piece of blanket. I made a pillow of my coat and shoes, rolled up in the blankets, and was soon asleep. A farmer's team crossing the bridge woke us at daylight. I got up at once, cold and sore from the hard ground, and made a fire. The other two crawled out of their blankets and went down to the creek to wash. I followed them. They both had soap wrapped in paper. One of them gave me his piece. I washed and returned it. He placed it on a rock till it was dry, then wrapped it up and put it in his coat pocket. They also had pocket combs and small round mirrors. We went back to the fire and discussed breakfast. "'Nothing but java,' said the bum that had the coffee. "'I'll go to the farmhouse,' I volunteered, "'and buy something.' "'Nix, nix,' said one. "'Buy nothing,' said the other. "'It's you kind of cats that make it tough on us buying chuck. "'They begin to expect money. "'You go up to that house,' pointing to a place on a small rise, about fifteen minutes' walk, and tell the woman you and two other kids run away from home in the city three days ago, and you ain't had nothing but a head of cabbage that fell off a farmer's wagon between use since you left. Tell her you're on your way back home, and the other two kids are down by the bridge so hungry they can't walk. On your way up there, get a phony name and street number ready in case she asks you questions. She'll give you a sit-down for yourself, chances are, but bring back a lump for us. You're a decent-looking kid. She might get worked up about your troubles and ask a lot of damn fool questions. Cut her off. Tell her you're ashamed to be sitting there wasting time and the other boys starving under the bridge. Before I got to the house, a couple of dogs dashed out, barking savagely. A healthy, matronly woman came out and quieted them, looking at me inquiringly. I told her myself and two boyfriends, runaways from home, were hungry and I wanted some food, that I would be glad to pay her for anything she could spare, and if she would wrap it up, I would hurry down to the bridge with it, where my chums were waiting. Yes, she said kindly. Come in. I haven't much here, but maybe I can find enough. She gave me a seat outside near the kitchen door, where I waited and made friends with the dogs. In no time she came out with a large parcel and refused the money I offered. I thanked her and went down to the bridge with my lump. The bums had coffee boiling. We found enough tin cans to drink from and opened the parcel. It contained cold fried chicken, cold biscuits, and half a pie. "'You're a good connector, kid.' "'Sure you didn't pay for this?' one of them said. 
No, I didn't have to answer any questions. It was easy except for the dogs. Don't let dogs worry you, kid. They're cowards. Ought to know. I've been battling them twenty years. They'll bite you if you turn your back or run away, or if there's a pack of them, they'll pull you down. If you get up against a hostile dog, rush him, and he'll weaken. I never got bit but once, and that was in the town of Pueblo. I was just after getting a six-month's floater out of Denver, and went down to Pueblo to do a little deeding with lavender for myself. I got myself a bunch of lavender and a dew-cat. The other bum laughed, his mouth full of chicken. You're talking chin-nook to that kid. What does he know about the D.D. and lavender and do-cats? You're right, I said. I don't know what he's talking about. I was anxious to learn, but didn't like to ask questions. Well, it's this way, he went on. I was dummying up, you see. Imitating a deaf and dumb man. D.D.ing, see? You surely know what lavender is, stuff women put on clothes. You put about a spoonful in a small envelope. You've got a pocketful of envelopes ready when you go out to make your plunge. Then you get your ducat, see? That's the main thing. I got a bartender to write it for me on the back of a lawyer's card. When the woman opens the door, you slip her your ducat, and she reads, I am deaf and dumb. I got hurt by a streetcar and just came out of the county hospital. I'm trying to get $7 to pay my fare home to shine. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.